Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Excited to be here today. Thank you, Scott, for the announcements. A lot of cool things coming up. Yes. So today we are in week three of our 22 days of prayer. Today is a big day. Anybody know what's happening tonight? Super Bowl, right? Yeah, Super Bowl. I think uh, Matthew Stafford might have a shot to, uh, to clinch it tonight. It wouldn't hurt if the Bengals won, though, you know, so they, they're due. So I I, I'm just hoping for a good game. You know, sometimes the games are low scoring. Nobody's really doing anything. It's kind of boring to watch. So um, hopefully it's a good game and, and may the best winner win. Uh, but this isn't the only big thing this weekend. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So I just want to remind all the dudes in the room, if your wife is slaving over game day snacks, the least you could do is get her some flowers and candy and a card. Right? Amen, ladies? Yeah. And even if for some reason you're running short this week, you, can't, you don't have time to swing by Walmart and get the discount flowers that are half wilty. You know, you know what I'm saying? For $9.99, what can you, what, what can you uh, expect? At least write her a handwritten with actual English letters, a card telling her how you feel about her. Not what you want her to do, but how you feel about her, which would be valued more than $9.99 flowers and a box of $12.99 chocolates. So if she is slaving, letting you bring your buddies over to the house or you're dragging her wherever you're going, at least you could do is something special for her. So get some sweets for your sweetie on Valentine's Day. This week we, are, we have completed the first phase in our devotional packet. If you've been going through the 22 days of prayer, uh, devotional packet has been really, I think, uh, special for our church, bringing us together in unity, seeking God together. And the first 10 days was all about looking back remembering, letting, letting our hearts reconnect with what God's already done in our lives, those special moments that we've had with him. And, and so this week, we're going to begin to look ahead and see what God is saying and doing. Because God's not just a God of yesterday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we look back to see what he did to give us faith to push forward into what he's doing. So we're going to begin looking forward today, and I want to talk today specifically as we are fasting and we're praying, we're seeking God together, I want to talk about a mystery of fasting uh, today. The fasting and prayer are synonymous, they kind of go together, but there's a mystery, there's an objective, God has an objective for us personally as we're fasting. We don't really think about that, at least, at least I don't often think about what's God's objective when I fast and when I pray. Because when I fast and pray, it's like I have an objective for God. I have something I want God to do. There's something on my heart. But God also has an objective 
for our lives. And so we're looking ahead at God's objective. What is God's goal in your life as you fast and pray? So to set this up, we're going to read from an Old Testament story that when you read it, it has absolutely nothing to do with fasting. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've been going through some stuff, you open the Bible, and something jumps out at you that you have read a million times, but it's completely unrelated to what you're going through, but somehow today it makes sense. Somehow God is using this story in your life to communicate a truth to you about what he's doing in you to help show you what his goal is for the circumstance and the season you're in. This is my life this week as I'm pressing into God's presence and, and being just rocked with what he's doing in my own heart. So it's kind of crazy how God does this. I would have never picked this passage for fasting, but here we go. Because fasting, if you, if you don't know what fasting is, fasting is when you give up something that you depend on or something you really enjoy and partake in that takes your time, your energy, your investment. You give that up and you replace that time with giving God your time. You replace that with seeking God in some way, whether it's in prayer, in worship, in Bible reading. You're seeking God to really reconnect your heart to God. So fasting is all about contending for connection. It's all about connecting your heart to God. That is the end goal, that by connecting your heart to God, by giving God more of your heart, that along with it will come a blessing. It'll come with it maybe an answer to a prayer that you've been praying. And sometimes we have a blessing in mind. We've, we know, okay, this is on my heart. God, I really need you to move. There's a, a person that I love that's ill. God, I need you to heal him. God, there's this issue at work. I need you to move this mountain. There's something we know that we're pre pressing into and praying for. Other times, we just want to get closer to God. We want to know him more. Like, if you're a child of God, I believe that you have deep within you a yearning to know God more. Because you know how good he is. And the more you know him, the more you experience his goodness. So sometimes we fast and we pray just to get closer to this amazing God that we serve, to experience his presence. The end goal of the fast, this specified effort in prayer, is to be blessed from our perspective. But God also has a perspective. God also has a perspective, and it is to bless you. Did you know God wants to bless you? Read the Bible cover to cover. He told Israel when he was giving them the law, you know, the thing they couldn't keep, the thing that caused all this trouble. He told them, if you give me your heart, you worship me and me alone, you obey my commandments, you will be blessed beyond measure. You will never see a crop fail. You will not have enemies rage your camp. Your women won't even have miscarriages because my presence and my favor will be on you. It will be unlike anything you could possibly think about. That's pretty awesome. That's God's will. That's Eden. When he created the earth, he created Eden. He created for us to exist in an eternally blessed existence. The problem is, is we brought sin into the world and it's caused all the chaos. But God's heart for his people is to bless. He wants to bless you. So yes, God wants to bless you during your time of fasting and through your time of fasting. But his blessing has a far greater meaning and significance than we often understand or what we think we need or want in the moment. 
God doesn't just want to help you out. If you have this issue, you have this burden, you're praying for it, God doesn't just want to help you. He wants to change you. He doesn't want to just help your life out. He wants to change your life altogether. He wants to transform you. And so the story we're going to look at is found in Genesis chapter 32. I recommend you, if you have your Bible, open to Genesis 32. The verses will also be on the screen. Um, but I just think it's good to bring your Bible with you in some form or fashion, either on your phone or your old-fashioned paper Bible. Been here doing this long enough to know technology doesn't always work. Internet's not always on. And you can't always rely on those things. So bring your Bible with you. And uh, that way you can follow along. We do have notes on the YouVersion Bible app uh, for your convenience. But um, I just think it's a good thing. And in Genesis 32, we're going to look at Jacob. Jacob's our person of interest. Jacob has just finished his commitment to his father-in-law. The, the story of how Jacob gets married, we're not going to go through that. But it's like an episode of Jerry Springer. He goes in single, comes out with two wives and 11 kids. One he likes, the other one can't see straight. I heard a funny joke. Uh, it was kind of, kind of funny. We were watching uh, that movie Jungle Cruise with The Rock. And uh, he was making dad jokes all through the movie. And there's one uh, where he talks about this. Uh, he had a girlfriend that they recently broke up. She was cross-eyed. They broke up because they couldn't see eye to eye. And he said, and he was really hurt because he thought she was seeing another man on the side. I'll remember that one forever. That, that'll come out. Give me six months. That'll come out again. But Leah had something going on up in this area. So Jacob's married to two sisters. Comes out with two sisters and 11 kids. Finally, he fulfills his commitment to his father-in-law, and they find a way to leave. And as they are leaving, um, something interesting happens to Jacob. In Genesis 32, beginning in verse 1, it says, As Jacob started on his way, angels of God came to meet him. Now, Jacob had left his homeland because he was in fear of what his brother was going to do. His brother wanted to kill him, so he left his homeland, and that's how he ended up in the land where Laban lived and, and uh, got married and, and his, started developing this family. So he's on his way coming back home to the place that God uh, was leading him to, and angels met him on the road. How cool is that? And it, when I'm reading this, it's like, wait, angels of God met him on the road. And it's written like this is a normal, everyday thing. Like, what, they come down in flying saucers? He's like, oh, the saucers are back, you know. He's like, how did this happen? I'd be, like, freaking out. But he, Jacob just meets these guys, and it says, when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. And so he named the place Mahanaim. That, that word means two camps. So he was staying there, but the angels of God are also hanging out there. So he's having a party with angels. That's cool. That's really cool. Did you know when the church gathers together in Hebrews 12, it says we're having a party with angels? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses to this life of faith. So let's strip off every weight that slows us down and every sin that so easily besets us. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who disregarded the shame of the cross because of the joy awaiting him, which was us. 
That's good. So he's hanging out with angels. And as he's hanging out with angels, it had to have been glory. Just this moment of awe, like, man, this is like the coolest thing. He starts remembering what he did to his brother that made his brother want to kill him. In the presence of glory, all he can think about is past shame. He remembers how he swindled his brother, not only out of his birthright, taking advantage of him at a time of weakness, but how he dressed up like his brother and impersonated him to his dying father and stole his blessing, leaving him with virtually nothing. From that point on, Esau wanted to kill his younger brother. So now Jacob is heading home. He knows he has to face his brother. And so he's now in the presence of these angels. Starts scheming again. How am I going to get out of this one? How am I going to work this out to my favor? And so he sends some servants ahead with this treasure trove of gifts. Cattle, uh, you know, jewels, all this uh, precious things. Because he's trying to use these expensive gifts to appease Esau, so then when they meet, Esau, out of anger, won't kill him or his family. One of Jacob's servants returns with news after going out ahead of him to meet Esau. So that Esau was on his way to meet him with a small army. And he begins, Jacob begins to freak out. So he divides his camp into two camps. So that the thought was, if Esau does attack, as he's attacking one, maybe his family and servants and the other ones would be able to escape. So he's planning all these things. He's scheming all of these things in his heart. He's trying to manage and control his circumstance. And he's just beside himself. But then he begins to pray to the Lord. Keep in mind again, he was still hanging out with angels during all this time. Can you be so overwhelmed with your circumstances you miss the glory of God in the moment? Can you be so narrow-minded and focused on the problems that you miss everything God is doing around you? Absolutely you can. So he begins to pray to the Lord. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land, to your relatives, and that you promised me, I will treat you kindly. Notice he says to God, you told me, somebody say you told me, and you promised me. So he's praying to God in the midst of this desperation, you told me and you promised me. He's recounting God's commands and God's promises. What did we do all this last week? We looked back at God's commands and God's promises. But then he continues in his prayer, verse 10. He says, I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me. 
along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands uh, along the seashore, too many to count. So he's praying to God. He's looking back at God's call on his life, at God's commands, at God's promises, looking on all of God's provision and all of God's blessing, while also looking back on all of his mistakes. He couldn't move forward from the place he was in. He couldn't move forward to do what God called him to do because he was stu stuck looking back at all of his shame. Look at verse 10 again. What's he say? He says, I am not worthy of your unfailing love and faithfulness. So as he's declaring all of these things, and I think to a degree we all have this measure of like, man, God is so good, I'm so jacked, I'm not worthy of anything good. We have this common thing. But he was just crying about this situation with Esau and why Esau wanted to kill him. So forefront of his heart is, God, there's nothing good in me which deserves your blessing. I've got all this stuff in my past, and, and I can't be confident enough to move from this place until you bless me, until you do something, because I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm, I don't deserve it. Why was he unworthy? It's because he was a deceiver. He and his mother conspired against his own brother, and his brother got the short end of the stick. Now, Jacob's name given to him at birth was given his name Jacob because when he was born, he and his brother were twins. His brother came out first, but Jacob was holding his heel on the way out. So Jacob actually means heel grabber. Be thankful you don't live in ancient Israel. Because depending on what you looked like or what you were doing when you were coming out, that's how you got your name most times. But it was heel grabber. But the name also has another layer of significance. It also means supplanter or the layer of snares. That he would be a person who would trap other people. And his name was this banner over his life as he swindled his brother, lied and deceived his father. And beloved, that's how the nation of Israel got its start. That's where the 12 tribes come from. Deception. He was a deceiver. But yet, God was with him. And God blessed him. How awesome is the unfailing love of God who would richly bless a deceiver? I can't wrap my mind around that. Don't we feel like unworthy of God's blessing when we think about the stuff that we do or have done or presently struggle with? Like, no way God is going to want to bless me. But he blessed Jacob. What's Jacob doing in this moment? As he's even praying to God, he's trying again to come up with a scheme to appease his brother by sending these gifts through the servants. And he tells his servants to go in phases. And each time you deliver a gift, I want you to say, 
something specific. And I want you to go in this order because he's trying to scheme again to wear his brother down to put him in his good graces. In Genesis 32, 20 through 21, he says, And be sure to say, Jacob says to his servant, Look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Because Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he'll be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob spent the night in the camp. So at this point, as he's sending everyone away, the angels now are gone. He's praying to the Lord, asking God to, to help him out. He's still trying to control the situation by coming up with some type of deception, some type of scheme, some type of flattery to win his brother over in this moment. So he sends his family ahead. He sleeps, plans to sleep alone in the camp because he's afraid of what, what his brother might do. And this story, this is right here in the story, is why I love this story. I love it. It is the most random thing you'll ever read in the Bible. Everyone's gone. Jacob's alone in the camp. And in chapter 32, verse 24, it says, As he's all alone in the camp, a man came and wrestled him until dawn. Just picture this, right? He's by the campfire. He's doing something, and oh, you know, and he just gets attacked. And they just start wrestling. Now, I've, my teenage son likes to wrestle me, especially at bedtime. It has stopped being hugs. It's now being like suplexes and, and takedowns. But we wrestled the other, night, the other day, you know, a few months ago for like 45 minutes in the living room because he won't win. Not that I won't lose. He won't win. You know? There's just some things ain't going to happen. Don't care how big you are or how taller than me you are and any of that stuff. I'll break you. But they wrestle all night long. I was tired after 45 minutes with my teenage son. Let alone another dude, full size, full strength, trying to wrestle me all night long. I'm like, give me an hour? Okay. I got to go to bed at some point. I need my sleep. They wrestle all night long. Somebody say all night long. Think about it. They wrestled all night long. Jacob was a tough dude. Verse 32 beginning, or verse 25 from chapter 32. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on you'll be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And then he blessed him. Verse 30, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. I love how the man 
says, why do you want to know my nature? That's a rhetorical question. He was implying, Jacob, you already know who I am. You already know who I am. Which is why in the very next verse, he names the place the face of God. Again, think about what's happening here. Soak it in for a minute. He was praying to the Lord. He had a burden. He had fear. He was afraid of his brother. He couldn't move forward into the call of God in his life because he was stuck looking back at all the things he did that were wrong. And so all night long, he wrestled with God about that. And when God realizes he's not going to win, did you hear what I just said? God realizes he's not going to win. Was Jacob some type of Hebrew ninja? I mean, what is up? God who spoke all things into existence, who holds all things together by the word of his power, who said, let there be light, and it was so, who said, let the waters be separated from the waters and let dry land come from the midst of the sea. God couldn't beat Jacob. He was holding on for dear life. So what's God do? God throws a cheap shot. Breaks the man's hip. Because God ain't going to lose. God's never lost a battle. You want to fight with God? Well, he's going to break you. He's going to break you. God throws a cheap shot and breaks his hip. So he will give up. But Jacob doesn't quit. Even with a broken hip. How many of us want to quit at the first sign of pain? How many of us want to quit when things get uncomfortable? How many of us want to quit before the breakthrough comes because it's just too dang hard? You know, I just share this because we're church people in church, and this is a normal thing. Somebody will come to the church, and it is the coolest, most awesome place. God's moving. The Spirit's here. Miracles are happening. They're telling everybody about it. Then one person says something to them that hurts their feelings, and they're out the door. Why? Well, God just didn't call me here. When on day one, God called you, but on day five... You're no longer called. No, you're weak. You're emotionally weak. Because if God called you here, he knows everything you're going to experience and walk through. He knows what's going to build you up. He knows what you're going to go through that's going to hurt. But he knows why he called you here too. There's a purpose. Many of us, we want to quit when things get uncomfortable or when things aren't the way we expect. But I think deep down, the reason why Jacob didn't quit is because he knew the significance of the fight. 
He knew who he was wrestling with. It wasn't an ordinary battle. It wasn't just anyone, just some random stranger. And he knew that if he wanted a blessing from God, he would have to hold on, stay in the fight, keep going after it until God gave him what he was looking for because only God could give him what he was looking for. He's the only one. And God did. He blessed Jacob. He blessed him. But did you catch? He didn't bless him in the way Jacob wanted to be blessed. Jacob's praying, dude, I got this brother. He's angry. Help me out. But God doesn't bless him in the way he was asking to be blessed. Jacob wanted a guarantee of safety and security for his family. But God doesn't do that. He blesses him in another way. What's he do? He gives him a new name. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel really has two possible meanings. It means the one who struggles with God, or God contends, or God who fights. So I believe God wanted to bless Jacob, truly, but he wanted to wrestle with Jacob to see how badly Jacob wanted to be blessed. If he was truly serious about the blessing God wanted to give him versus the one he was asking for. If he gave up, if he quit, it meant he really wasn't interested. He really wasn't ready to receive what God had in store for him. His heart really wasn't in it. But God saw his commitment. God saw his resolve, his heart to hang on. Even in the midst of excruciating pain with his busted hip, he was not going to give up. And so God blessed him, but in a deeper and more profound way than what Jacob was even asking. Think about, why would the angel of the Lord, why would God himself... Rather than guaranteeing Jacob's safety, why would he change his name instead? Why would he do it? Your name is your reputation. Having a good name is synonymous with having a good reputation. Your name is equal to your word. What people think about you is attached to your name. The value of your name is held up by your character. When you hear somebody's name, don't you feel something towards that person? Doesn't matter who it is. If it's your friend, what do you feel? Oh, so-and-so's calling me. Or, oh, oh, yeah, I know that person. When it's somebody you can't stand and you hear their name, what do you feel? Oh. You know? I think I just puked in my mouth a little bit. You have a reaction. It doesn't matter who it is. Why? Because your name is attached to who you are and to what people think about you. So remember Jacob's prayer. I am unworthy of your favor and blessing, which was true. He was looking back at who he was and what he had done. And that's what was keeping him from moving forward. He was a supplanter, a heel grabber, a deceiver. He was living up to that name. Even in that moment, trying to scheme favor with his brother. He's living up to that name. And I believe God changed his name because the breakthrough he needed would not come with God intervening with supernatural safety. The breakthrough would come by removing the reason he was in the predicament altogether. 
You don't just need this. Why? Because all that's going to follow you wherever you go. You don't need an intervention here. You need a new identity before you move forward. You need a complete, fresh start. You need something new. You need to get out from underneath this reputation you've been living under your whole life. So the blessing Jacob really needed, the one that he wanted, even if he wasn't aware at the time, he may have not known it at the time, was a new label, which came with a new beginning to come out from underneath the stigmas, failures, mistakes that he had made in the past to rise up into the man God created him to be so he could walk in the favor of God. And now that his name was changed to Israel, he could face Esau. Because he wouldn't be staring at Esau as the deceiver. He'd be staring at Esau as the one to whom God fights for. Talk about a confidence boost. Talk about a game changer for Esau. You see, when God gives you a new identity, it's not just for you either. It becomes a banner for everyone coming after you to dwell under. When God gives you a new identity, it's not just for you. It's for your spouse. It's for your children. It's for everyone attached to you. You know that, that phrase, guilt by association? They used to always tell us when we were younger and we were in high school, be careful who your friends are because if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who you represent yourself to be affects everyone in your circle. Young or old. You're known by who you surround yourself with. And so this wasn't just for Jacob, even though he desperately needed it. It was for everyone coming after him. And this is how this connects to fasting and prayer. This is how this connects to fasting and prayer. Before Jacob could be blessed, before his name could be changed, he had to wrestle with God. And he had to contend for the blessing he was after to the point that it left him injured. Caused him pain because his hip was thrown out of joint. You see, fasting is not a pleasant exercise. It's uncomfortable. And it's sometimes painful. Now, as good church people, as called church people, being churchy, we're really good at doing spiritual things half heart in a half-hearted way. Like, don't we? Like, when we talk, oh, the church is going to go through a fast. Okay, let me, let me think about what I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray and see what God wants me to fast. Okay, I'm going to fast my, my favorite television show throughout the week. Or I'm going to fast my 2 o'clock snack. I'll just give that 2 o'clock snack up. Or I'm going to fast social media. I'm, I'm just going to not be on social media for a while. And, you know, those are probably good things. But they don't require much. Unless you have a serious problem with your favorite show, your afternoon snack, or have a touch of self-itis. Self-itis is a legitimate condition. It's an obsessive need to take pictures of yourself and post them online. It's clinically diagnosed. And if you have self-itis, I don't mean to make light of it. We're concerned. We care. We would love to help you. Don't fight it alone. At the end of church, just come forward and we'll lay hands on you until you don't have self-itis anymore. There's some things that are just too stupid to be a syndrome. I'm sorry. Come on. 
Thank you, Jesus. But when we fast the things that aren't really a sacrifice, what's it say about our heart? We're not really that interested in the blessing. We're not really that serious. I'm not really interested in contending for what I say I want to go after. And I've been guilty of that many times. You start strong. Oh, man, we're going we're gonna to do this. It's going to be awesome. And, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to give God all this. And you start strong. And then after a while, you start making excuses. And you give, on it, give up on it before it's supposed to be over. Why? Because the heart's not really there. But what God has been showing me, what I've had to even face in my own life this week, is that if I really want the blessing, if I really want to be free or to be delivered of this issue in my life, if I really want God to do a work in this area, if I want a breakthrough, I have to be willing to fight for it and keep fighting until I win. To keep fighting until I win. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says we, this is the church, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. The way the enemy gets control of our lives oftentimes is he gets in our head, makes us believe a bunch of false stuff so that he can then direct how we behave. We end up sinning in the process and it grants him power and authority over our lives. So how do we undo that? We use God's mighty weapons, which have the power to tear down strongholds, to break us free from the power of the enemy, right our minds, and bring us back into alignment and agreement with God. And fasting and prayer are some of the mighty weapons of our warfare. They're like synonymous together. They're closely related because it helps both right our minds and position us physically in our behavior in a place to be blessed by God. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us as the church to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil. After he lists everything in the armor of God, he then says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion for believers everywhere. So what brings it all together is prayer. And incorporating fasting and prayer together, we position ourselves in a place the enemy can't touch us and God is constantly listening to us. If we want the blessing, we have to be resolved to contend for it, which means we have to be willing to endure some pain, some discomfort. We have to overcome the fear we may have of being exposed in our flaws and our failures and overcoming the uncomfortable nature of dealing with issues of our very own heart. Like if I'm going to pray that prayer, God, search me, try me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me on the path of everlasting. Like we did that a couple weeks ago as a church. As we kicked off the 22 days of prayer, we asked the Lord, God, search us. Know our hearts. Point out anything that offends. And I believe if you pray that prayer earnestly and genuinely, God's going to answer. And when he does, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. Coming to a realization that something might not have been the way you thought or you weren't really what you thought you were. 
The realities that we have to face about our own hearts can be painful. But, beloved, the pain is worth it if you hang on in the struggle. Jacob was so committed to winning the blessing, he held on even after being injured. In intense pain, he continued to cling to the Lord until he was blessed. I believe it's because he knew his momentary pain was worth an eternal reward. I'm going to say that again in a different way. Your momentary pain is worth an eternal reward. Your momentary pain is worth an eternal reward. The momentary pain was struggling with God because he hung on, produced a great blessing. And it didn't just change his life, it reverberated for generations. And verse 31 says, The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. He was limping because of the injury to his hip. So he left the encounter with God hurt, not healed. And it says in verse 32, even today the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened the night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. This moment of crisis and pain in Jacob's life was so significant, it changed the dietary practices of an entire people group. At what point in your life, in your home, did either you go through something or your parents go through something that altered how you did something for the rest of your life. Well, my dad sprained his ankle when he was climbing a ladder, so from now on we skip the first ring in case, you know. We don't do that. Why? Because normal things aren't that significant. This moment of pain in Jacob's life was so significant, it changed how the people ate their food. Notice when God touched Jacob, he threw his hip out of joint. When God touched Jacob, he hurt him. He didn't heal him. How many times do we pray throughout a week, God, just touch me? Because it's just touch me. God, I need your touch. Touch me. Touch me. Do we really know what we're asking for? Because some touches of the Lord heal. And it's awesome. When you see somebody's leg who's too short extend out right before your very eyes. When somebody who has rotator cuff problems facing surgery the next day and is healed in a second. The touch of the Lord can be awesome. But sometimes a touch from the Lord is very painful. And God never causes pain without a purpose. You see, Jacob was stuck looking back at his home or at his shame. He couldn't move forward to go home in his own strength. So God touched his hip, and I believe it was to show Jacob he couldn't rely on himself to win the next battle. You're not going to come out of this in a strong place so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is my work in your life. Jacob left that struggle with God, wounded and hurt, but yet eternally blessed in a way that impacted every generation after him. He had a new name, Israel, a new reputation, and at that moment, such a catalyst for change in his life, his descendants commemorated it every day, affecting how they lived, how they ate. Fasting is really, if you want to think about what fasting is, 
Fasting is a wrestling match between two forces, your flesh and the Holy Spirit. Your flesh and the Spirit of God. Sometimes for the Spirit to win the battle you're waging, your flesh has to be wounded. That can be painful. But we have a promise from God that the discipline of the Lord will produce a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by the discipline of the Lord. That God doesn't bring discipline, painful circumstances just to wound us. We have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes, but the pain that he allows in our lives that we have to endure through as we wrestle with God, we have no clue on how that's going to impact future generations. Beloved, your wounds as you wrestle with God, are the very thing that mark your life. They are the defining moments in your life that will define your life for generations. No one wants to be hurt. No one wants to go through difficult circumstances. But your limp could be the catalyst to change a thousand lives. Your limp, your wound, when we say, God, I want to take up my cross and follow you. We're giving God permission to wound us where we need wounded so he can bless us how we need blessed. And I believe through this encounter, God helped Jacob stop focusing on who he was. All the past junk. And look forward into the new thing God was doing and who he created him to be. To look forward into what God was doing now. I think many of us, as we, we think about walking in faith, we can't help it but look back. Not at what God did, but what we did. And that keeps us from moving forward into what God is calling us to do. And even though he was limping, he moved forward. And how could Jacob move forward from that place of wounding? I believe it's because he knew the same God that hurt him is the same God that was going to heal him. The same one that hurt him was the same one that healed him. Why? Because he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. He's the great physician. And any great physician will tell you, any great surgeon will tell you, sometimes in order to heal the body, you have to cut into it. You have to wound it to heal it. God won't leave you wounded. But when he makes an incision... It's so that you come back better and stronger and experience his goodness in a greater level. And Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, the mystery of the gospel, this revelation of God now coming and collecting a people for himself. There's a glory in this mystery. And what is it? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know him and he lives in you. There is glory in you and there's a hope of future glory. This mystery is the glory of God has come to live in you by the power of his spirit. And one day he's coming back and as your blessed hope, he's going to transform this vile body into an immortal body that will never die. That will never have pain, that will never have suffering, that will never need to be wounded. There is a future glory, and you have that hope that you are among the glorified because of who lives inside of you. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul also tells us that all of us, this is the church, these are believers. We've had the veil removed 
and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So now that you know Christ and the spiritual blinders are off of your life, you not just get to see his glory, but you can reflect his glory in the world. How, does, how do we do that? He continues, he says, And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. So there's a process that we've begun as we trusted in Christ to make us more and more like him through following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Because here's where it wraps up as we are pressing into what God is asking us. God's ultimate will is to make us more like him. To open our eyes, to make us aware of what we don't know, to bring light into what's been hidden in the dark, so he can change us to reflect more and more of his glory. It's the moments we wrestle with God that give us perspective and also give God opportunity. I like how this verse is worded in the King James Version. It says, but we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Somebody say from glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of God. So as we are being changed, we're being changed from glory into glory. The word glory is the Greek word doxa. In all of sacred literature, the word doxa that we translate as glory, it means a good opinion concerning a person, and resulting from that good opinion, praise and honor. So there's a good opinion that comes with praise and honor. So if you think about what God is doing, he's changing us into the image of Christ from one place of glory into another place of glory. From one good opinion, which you got when you trusted in Jesus and all your sin was forgiven, as he works in your life to another great opinion, another greater level. What you experienced here, this amount of glory, this good favor, when he moved you over here, you experienced another level of glory, another level of favor. Just as Jacob over here was a deceiver and blessed by God, how significant was his life as Israel, the father of the 12 tribes? There is another level of goodness and glory, and Christ being the hope of glory gives us access into that process as God is changing us from who we are into who we were always meant to be. Doxa is also a word that has a wide significance to it, ranging from a person's own opinion of themselves to the way other people think about you publicly. Like think about what he did with Jacob. Like Jacob... I don't like all your stinking thinking about yourself. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your reputation. I'm going to change your name. You have a new banner now. So what you were under, that's not who you are. You're under this now. Here's some glory. And he moved him from glory to glory. Just as before Christ, dead in our sin, disconnected from God, Jesus came in and he said, if you trust in me, I'm going to show you the glory. We received Jesus. We became glorified as the children of God. But it didn't stop there. He said, as you press into me, as you listen to my voice, as you follow me, as you go where I'm leading, I'm going to show you even greater glory and continue to lead you from glory to glory. And that glory we experience isn't just thinking better about ourselves. It reflects onto everybody around us. 
In Luke 2.52, it says about Jesus, he grew in favor and wisdom with God and with men. So as the favor of God increases in your life, so is the favor of men. Because your life will be a blessing to them. So as God is increasing in your life, so will your favor with the people around you. And I believe for Jacob to fulfill God's will, he first had to change Jacob's own opinion of himself. He wasn't wasting uh, just God's time being drowned in his failures. He wasn't lost in his shame. He had a new name, which means he had a new belief about himself. Because what you believe about yourself will color how you think, how you act, even your emotions. So God changed his name to help him. And beloved, God has changed your name, and he has put his name on you. You have a new banner. You're not what you were. You're altogether new. And God did that so Jacob could start living up to who God created him to be. And God put his name on us so we can live up to God's opinion about us. And what's so amazing is that with the new name, a new label, the cycle of dysfunction that caused him to be in this place with Esau was broken. It didn't follow him anymore. And when he met Esau, it was a warm reception. Esau didn't even take his gifts. He's like, I got enough of my own stuff. I don't need yours. And they reconciled. Beloved, what breakthrough are you contending for now? And are you resolved to stay in the fight? Are you resolved and determined to stay in the fight until the breakthrough comes? What are you contending for? And what are we contending for as a church? Do we just want to have a big church? Or do we want a church immersed in the power and presence of God? And are you willing to fight for it? And to keep fighting until the blessing comes. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. I've not arrived. But this one thing, I forget the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Is Paul saying he forgets everything God did before? No. We hold on to our testimonies. They fan the flame of hope and give us faith to believe for what's coming. But I forget all the stuff, all the junk. I even forget all the, the things I did that were good. You ever met somebody that can't get out of the past? Like the glory days will always be their high school years. Oh, man, back in the day, man, we had this car, man, and it went so fast, man, back in the day. Like our football team, man, we were state champs. Don't get me down, man, back in the day. Back in the day, I could bench press 500 pounds, not today, but back in the day, man, you should have seen me, man, back in the day. Maybe we just let that day be back in the day. Because the glory that's awaiting you is far better than the glory in the past. What God is leading you to is far greater than anything you've already experienced. So hold on to your testimonies as the fuel to believe for what God's doing new in the future. Let go of who you were and rise up into who you are. Stop looking back under shame and look forward in the hope of Jesus Christ. And let's press into where God's leading us and what God is doing because we have a new name. 
And what we're doing together in this 22 days of prayer is not just for us. I hope you know that. What's happening right now is not just for us. In 75 years, I hope I'm remembered. But even more so, I hope that this church still exists, is still winning the world for Christ, is still flowing in the Spirit, and is still moving in the power of God. What we're doing now is setting up people in a hundred years for either revival or a shutdown. I say revival. I say a move of God. So that means we continue to fight. We continue to press forward. We let God cut what needs to be cut. To touch what needs to be touched. To break what needs to be broken. And heal what needs to be repaired. So we can grow in faith, favor, and the blessings of God can overflow for generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jacob. I thank you, God. That something as simple as fasting and prayer, where we initiate a wrestling match with Almighty God, can be so significant in our lives that it can not just change us, not just open a blessing, but that it can change generations. God, I know that you are hungry for a people who are hungry. And not just because they are living without food or withholding things from themselves, God, but you're hungry for a people who will determine in their heart to pursue you wherever you are, wherever you're going, at whatever cost, and not give up until they catch you. Jesus, you said, whoever seeks is going to find. Whoever knocks, it's going to be open. So keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. God, I know that you're ready to bless. You're ready to pour out your spirit. I know, God, you're ready to touch people, to mark them for a lifetime. That they would come and they would maybe come forward to be prayed for. And you would so touch them that the impact would be so dramatic that it would be a moment they talk about in their family for years to come. As the moment you transformed my life. You changed my life. God, I know you want to do that here. I know you want to root out fear and embarrassment and just religion that has stifled the faith of so many and the freedom of worship in so many. God, you want to change people from old to new. God, I, I just feel in my heart that maybe there's somebody here today that needs to begin a relationship with you for the very first time. To let go of all the religious junk and just say, God, today, for the first time, Fully and completely, I'm giving you my heart by trusting in Jesus Christ. That today that that, that that happens, God, and that you would so mark that person with your love and your grace that they would never be the same. And they could always look back today, February 13th, 2022, as a day that changed their legacy in their family. God, I know you want to change families. You want to restore marriages, you want to heal bodies. God, there's so many things you want to do. But the question is, is are we going to fight for it? So God, give us the faith and the desire and the power to chase after 
what you've prepared for us. Give us the perseverance and the grace to be willing to endure difficult circumstances, to follow you through the valleys of the shadow of death, through battles, through wars, through sickness, and continue following, continue trusting, continue believing until you accomplish the very things that you need to accomplish so that we can reflect your glory and experience more and more of your glory. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the sweetness in the room. And I just pray you begin speaking now. I know you've already been speaking through the word being declared, but just speak now those personal words. We're listening for your voice this week. We want to hear from you. So I pray you'd encourage the body with the prophetic word. I pray, God, as we go into a time of response, God, that you would encourage us through moving in power and releasing another glimpse of glory in this place today. I thank you in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're going to go into a time of prayer. I encourage you to stand to your feet if you're able. I invite our prayer team to come forward. The response time is a time to respond. This is your time to respond. It's not enough just to hear the word, but we need to be responders to the word. So if God's speaking to your heart about something, maybe you're warring for something right now. I was encouraged this week by a pastor friend of mine, and I'm just, I believe that when you take a step, when you leave your seat, what you're saying is, I am leaving where I am and who I was to walk down to where God is and discover who I am and what he's doing in my life. And so whatever's going on in your life, whatever your battles are you're fighting for, maybe you're the one that needs to receive Jesus as your Savior. You've, you've not had that moment. You can't pinpoint that moment where you really just ask Jesus to save you. If that's you, then right now where you are, I invite you to stand to your feet and come down and meet one of our prayer team members down here who will lead you through the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Giving Jesus your heart. Maybe there's something that you're battling through. You have a relationship thing going on. There's something in your life that you're battling through. Don't fight alone. The church is here to build up, encourage, and strengthen each other. Come and let us fight with you. Let us contend with you. Add more soldiers to that campaign. Maybe you need a healing. Maybe there's something in your body, you have a diagnosis, there's something. We believe God still heals. He is the healer. He is the miracle maker. You come and we'll pray. So for the next few moments, Tony leads us in a song. You respond to what God is doing in your life. You need to receive Jesus. Come on now. Just stand to your feet. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Follow what God is speaking to your heart. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. 
this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.